Hello Marlins fans and welcome to the opening day episode of Swings and Mishes. Your Miami Marlins play the Philadelphia Phillies tonight. We are back with our second episode in two days. Craig, how you feeling? It is opening day for the Miami Marlins. I am really excited. I think that for any baseball fan who has been waiting all of this time, I think that you're going to be rewarded. Uh, baseball has really done a good job trying to get these guys back on the field. And in particular, I think that for most people who are listening, I think the Marlins have a, done a really good job getting their uh, team in position to play this year. Uh, you look at all of the players around the league, and there have been a lot of situations where, unfortunately, players have tested positive for the virus. Uh, Marlins have done a really good job keeping their guys on the field and keeping them in the lineup. We only have a couple of guys who are out uh, for the for the time being here in South Florida. So, yeah, I'm ready to go, Jeremy. I'm excited to see what the season may hold coming up here, and it all starts in Philadelphia. And make no mistake about it, you can hear rhetoric. You can hear different things from other people, whether it is the Marlins inside or outside. The first week or two of the season is absolutely crucial. Their schedule is very difficult after the first few games. And I fully expect, and I believe the organization fully expects them to get off to a good start. And that's the most interesting part about this season. How will they start and what they have been deeming a 60 game sprint? But the, the, before we move on to that, let's go backwards for a second. Yesterday, we released an episode with Derek Jeter, the CEO, as he goes, the captain. And, you know, we covered a lot of ground. And and you, in particular, covered a lot of ground with Derek Jeter yesterday. Just a, a quick recap on that interview, your thoughts, your takeaways, sort of wondering what you had to think about what Jeter had to say yesterday. First and foremost, I appreciate him coming on the podcast because clearly it's his choice to do whatever interviews that he wants to do. And although we did have a lot of you know fun back and forth with that, I, I got to make it known that clearly he has a choice and I am not a team employee and I don't work for the Marlins. And so for him to appear on the podcast was certainly special for us. Beyond that, I, I think that the interview went well. I, I think that you got some answers to some of the questions that I asked and the expectations that have been risen by the organization at this point, specifically wins and losses. And I think that that's been mentioned now a couple of different times. But we also didn't get answers to questions on, uh, you know, extensions for Brian Anderson and potentially for Mike Hill. And, and Derek, as a former player, is not going to negotiate in public. And as I'm sure a lot of you saw on social media yesterday on Twitter, I reported that Brian Anderson was offered a multi-year extension uh, by the Marlins in the five-year range, around $30 million. And of course, no one is going to confirm this with me. And that's just the nature of sourcing and it's the nature of doing reporting. And I also think that that was a starting point in many ways. And as I mentioned also, I, I believe a lot of that was done before the pandemic, of course, because uh, simply put, a lot of the intention would have been to lock him into this year. And, and you know, basically he's not getting paid a heck of a lot this year. This would have enhanced that. And so uh, there's a little dice rolling here, and we'll see how Anderson does in the next two months. And the price tag will certainly be higher after that. I think we can all agree. But it was it was really positive in my mind to think that the organization is making those steps to give out uh, a long-term contract to someone because, Jeremy, in my mind, that's where it really is going to begin as yeah. far as the financials with the fan base. The fan base 
is going to be enthralled and happy with the minor league system. And, and certainly they're going to be happy with the development of all of these players. But if you're not going to keep any of them, then it's going to be really hard to look back and say all of this uh, was worth it. I mean, you, you have to keep some of your homegrown guys and, and arguably, uh, you know, last year I caught people by surprise when one of their homegrown guys and Zach Allen was traded. So, right. Yeah, and that, and that was out of necessity, and I think we understand that. They wanted Jazz Chisholm, and they wanted a, a future shortstop, but I don't count Victor Victor Mesa as a huge investment, and that does not look like one at the at the you know at the present time that's going to work out, although maybe they see it differently. I do not. And and giving Miguel Rojas that contract extension was well worth it for Miggy, yep. and, I, and I feel very good for him that he set his family up for the rest of his life. I couldn't be happier for him, but that's not the kind of deal – that's going to move the needle, I don't think, in South Florida. So if they do get a deal done with Anderson, I believe it'll happen in the offseason. I don't think it'll happen in the next two months. And then as far as uh, Michael Hill is concerned, Jeremy, I think it is a little perplexing at this point, uh, with all due respect to Derek, that they they haven't even had a conversation about it yet. And, right. and he did say that in the podcast. I, you know, Mike has dedicated almost 25 years of his life or 20 years of his life to the Marlins organization. And I, and I think that it would be important sooner rather than later to start having those conversations. And I, and I understand that, that it's not comfortable and, and perhaps like last year with Don Mattingly, as Derek alluded to, mm-hmm. you want to see the season play out before you make any decisions such as that. But Mike is a, a key decision maker in the Marlins organization. And if he's making decisions for the future, I would think that those decisions would be ones that he would be able to execute. Speaking of the trade deadline coming up, speaking of Hmm. having input in the draft, um, my personal opinion on this, and this is based on, on some things that I've heard and, and my opinion as well as I do think that Mike Hill will be back. And I think that he'll be, he'll remain as the president of the Marlins organization. It's that's the way that I feel right now, as we sit here on opening day, Uh, I can tell you that the previous owner, Jeffrey Loria, took very good care of Mike in terms of finances, and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where that will stand after the year. There may have to be some adjustment there, and that's just hard talk and hard facts with this. I don't don't know that salary-wise all of those will be the same from the previous regime to the current regime. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but that's sort of, you know, some of the things – that I think will factor in. And uh, inevitably, I do think they feel Mike has done a good job. I do as well. I like the direction that the club is headed. And I think that he has finally been given some leeway to make some very important moves without having anybody look over his shoulder. So I am hopeful that Mike Hill remains president of the club, but it, it definitely is uncertain right now based on the conversation that we had with Derek yesterday. Right, and based off everything that's been going on in the last four months and, and, and even beyond, you can only hope Michael Hill and Brian Anderson are both with this club long term. But now, let's actually move to the baseball that will be happening on the field tonight. It's opening day. Let's talk roster. Let's talk opening day roster and our expectations for this team. Quick, what are you thinking about in terms of what this roster looks like? And what are you thinking about in terms of how many wins this team can realistically get to this season? I think what we saw on television the last couple of days is going to get a little bit overinflated. And I would caution that because we haven't seen baseball in a long time. And for whatever reason, and I'm not sure of the dynamics, but Fox locally here chose to not broadcast any of the inter-squad scrimmages or, or any anything of that nature. Right, right. 
when I, I saw at least a handful, if not more, teams broadcasting a lot. I think the Phillies were on YouTube every day. Every I was day. Wa- I, yeah. yeah, I was watching JT. Uh, you know, play play every day. Yeah. So uh, I was disappointed with that. I, I thought that there, there should have been some way to bring it back, and that just made the last two days of exhibition games that much more uh, glorified, to speak. I would wonder what those ratings are, by the way. The ratings in Kansas City, and that's a good comparison, I think, to Miami in terms of the market, were off the charts for their exhibition games. And I would really? guess that you're going to see the ratings come in for the two exhibition games between Miami and Atlanta, also very high. So I, I would not take a lot from the last two days, except for players are back on the field. It's exciting to have mm-hmm. baseball back. And it was a glorified exhibition, spring training, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to look too much deeper. I, I know that people are extremely happy that they're hitting all these home runs. There are some mm-hmm. that are unhappy with the way that Adam Conley pitched. I am going to forget all of that come Friday and and remember how little spring training results actually mean. But that being said, I think that the offseason edition of Jonathan VR is going to be the big one for them, mm-hmm. and big one in many ways. They have not had a leadoff hitter like this since D. Gordon, and I could make the case that VR certainly has more power than Gordon, and I would hope that Miami sees a way to give VR more of a green light and give him the ability to steal bases because it's just something that is not happening in the game. I don't think enough. I think that it is an element that can still be used when you don't have a Pete Alonzo or a Mike Trout or a a 40, 50 home run hitter. The Miami does not have that. And And I think that that was a missing element the last couple of years that they thought that they had in Lewis Brinson, you know, that's what they thought. They they right. thought that he could steal 15, 20 bases, and unfortunately, it really didn't work out that way, so they really didn't have anyone with any speed. VR has speed. He's a, a good defender wherever he is. We'll have to see what the outfield looks like, and he can also hit home runs. Right. And so whether or not VR is someone that is going to uh, you know, be their best player this year? I, I can't answer that question. But if he gets off to a great start, one of two things are going to happen, Jeremy. Number one, the team is going to be good, which right. is good. And number two, if he gets off to a good start and the team isn't very good, they're going to trade Jonathan VR in 30 days, and they're going to yep. get something really good back for him. So I think that he, you know, circle this guy. He, I, I think that he is the most significant ad in the offseason, the most important ad in the offseason and I've always been a big fan of his game. And I, the trade that they got, you cannot argue with it. They got him virtually for nothing. So right, right. I think that that he will be important. Beyond that, you're looking at, at the catcher position with Alfaro taking another step, which I think is mm-hmm. possible. Uh, Jesus Aguilar at first base. Uh, my jury is still out a little bit on him, and I'm going to you know have to reserve... Uh, opinion until the regular season starts. Perhaps he has a great season. Perhaps what we saw last year was who he is. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, we'll we'll see what Isan Diaz has at second. And in the last you know pre, the last exhibition game, he certainly looked a little bit better. I am a little concerned with his defense. Uh, shortstop Miggy Rowe. We can just open and shut the case there. You know exactly who he is and what he brings to the team. Anderson, a potential All Star at third base. And then in the outfield, you're going to see Corey Dickerson in left field, who, when healthy, is a a very big bat in a lineup that can hit 20, 25 home runs. And even with two strikes, you're going to see, you saw it in one of the exhibition games. And for people who don't pay attention, Dickerson chokes up really high on the bat, and and he's a great two-strike hitter, too. That's just something to keep Mm -hmm. an eye on in the season. 
Uh, center field a little bit in flux, Jeremy, of course. And we don't particularly know if it's going to be VR or somebody else. Maybe John Birdie plays some center field too. Mm-hmm. Harold Ramirez in right field, who has been probably the most impressive hitter they've had since the restart. And then Garrett Cooper at designated hitter, who I think is going to have a monster year for the Marlins. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's the way the offense uh, sort of lines up. Um, I've, I've made no secret that I think Garrett Cooper hitting wise when he's in a groove is, uh, you know, has the chance even in a 60 game season to hit 20 home runs. So that that's another big bat that I think that is worth keeping an eye on. I think if the big key in everything that you just mentioned, obviously VR setting the table at the top, the nice thing about this DH for the Marlins twofold is Miguel Rojas was a leadoff hitter for a good portion of last season. Now he's essentially your second leadoff hitter batting ninth with Jonathan VR, who has power. When when the Marlins go 8-9-1, well, the first time we saw it during a scrimmage, uh, they went back-to-back-to-back home runs, right? Right. Which, obviously, that's not what you can anticipate constantly going forward, but it's nice to see that there's real depth to this lineup. And if Cooper has the type of year that you and I both anticipate that he can have, batting fifth, protecting Aguiar, who looks to be the one difference with Aguiar, the only thing that I see is he looks to be in so much better shape this season compared to where he was last year. And if that can be the difference to where he can have some consistency, the depth in this lineup for the first time in, well, in a few years uh, is real. And so that's exciting to see in terms of how the offense can perform. Now, moving, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I think that, and then offensively, you know, the the players off the bench, and and we don't need to spend too much more time on on who their bench players are. And and Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this podcast, clearly you're a big Marlins fan, so you understand who they have and who they don't. Uh, Going back to Monte Harrison, who I first reported was reassigned to their Jupiter camp. I know that there's been a lot of speculation as far as his clock being started in a week or two and then him coming up, but I I just don't buy any of that. Uh, You know, Monte has a chance to be a star. He also has a chance to not make it and just like every other player. And, Mm -hmm. and I don't, based on the way that they've handled some of these guys and the clocks, they called up Pablo, they called up Sandy. Like, I, I, I don't know if, if you're trying to win in a, in a 60 game sprint, you you have your best team at the start of the season. So I, I, from, from what I understand, I don't think that that was the issue here. I think the issue is just getting him more consistent. I know that's boring to say, but that's the way I feel about it. And And I think Monte will get his opportunity. What he does with that, we'll just have to wait and see. But I just want to make that clear is I don't think that this was a financially motivated move uh, in this situation. Right. Now, a little bit later on <laughs> in the podcast, we are going to talk about some things that the Marlins did have some financially motivated decisions that I don't agree with, but we're not there yet. So hmm. uh, that is the offense, Jeremy. And, um, you know, moving on to the pitching, uh, Sandy Alcantara is going to start tonight. He's going to start opening day. And, and Sandy certainly has a chance to build on a lot of the things that he did last year, and I would expect him to do that. Yep. Caleb Smith, if he can keep the ball in the park, <laughs> can end up being the best Marlins starter at the end of the year. He can also have a tough year if he gives up a lot of home runs, and, and that, that was the problem last year. He has got to fix that. That, that cannot be something that happens constantly this year. Uh, Jose Arena will make the third start. Arena is clearly here for this year and this year only. 
Mm-hmm. And and you know his future is not with the club, but they did not get a lot of trade interest in in Jose, and he is a placeholder. Uh, at the although they do think that he's made significant improvements, it would be significant improvements in order to trade him in thirty days. He he uh, he's he's not going to be with the Marlins long term, but he is their third starter. Pablo is has gotten rave reviews from Mel Stottlemyre yep. Jr. Pablo Lopez. And so we'll see if that carries over to the season. Pablo, the only thing with him is health. If he can be healthy, he can be an ace on a Major League Baseball team. That's for sure. And then we need to stop complaining about who the Marlins' fifth starter is. <laughs> it is Eliezer Hernandez. And b- before we go any deeper into this, it is fun baseball conversation to debate players. And and you know, and for anybody who knows me, you know my feelings on Jordan Yamamoto uh, I, I, I certainly wish he's a nice young man, and I hope for all the best, but I, I do think they made the right decision there mm-hmm. with, with Eliezer Hernandez. And Eliezer Hernandez will stack up with 20 other fifth starters in Major League Baseball. You yep. do not need to debate whether it's Yamamoto or Eliezer Hernandez. Uh, Major League Baseball teams in 2020, in 2021, do not have great fifth starters. It's a reason why they are the fifth starter. So... Uh, yeah, we could. We, whoever they have as their fifth starter, it's fine. It's all about the the first four starters. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really, or the first three. I mean, that's really right. what it comes down to. So I don't get too wrapped up in that. And it would be, we'd be here for an hour doing the 16, 17 man bullpen that they have. Right. Uh, Kin- Kinsler is the closer. He has an option for next year. So if he does well, I could see him being back. I'm a big Ryan Stanek fan. Mm-hmm. I think that he has a chance to to be their closer of the future. I really do. I'm not certainly giving up on him at all. And then, uh, and then Jeremy, it's a a lot of patchwork from there. And so that would be my biggest concern going into the year is I, is I, and and it should be for any team that doesn't have a high payroll that isn't expected to compete for a world series, regardless of what they say. I, I don't think the Marlins are a world series team. They could be better, but I don't think they're winning the world series. And on those teams where you don't spend money is the bullpen. So right. they added Boxberger and they can reach down to Jupiter and they can get Nick Vinson and, and, and they could certainly go out on the wire and grab a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I, as I, as I told one uh, person in the Marlins organization, boy, it would be a real shame if all of this building with the offense and the starting pitching and all this and all these young guys that you have, it would be a real shame to see a lot of blown games mm. after getting wins. Um, so I, I think that that's something that has got to be fixed, uh, you know, relatively quickly as we start the season. And so that essentially, Jeremy, is the Marlins 2020 roster. And mm. you can go to MLB.com, I guess, and click on their full um, you know, full pitching roster and all of right. that, or baseball reference, you know, going through every single reliever is, is not something that we're <laughs> going to do here. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's exciting. I don't want to, I'm not going to do that here on, on the, on the podcast, but uh, in the end, I'm going to predict the Marlins to have 27 wins this season. That's where I think that they're going to be. And, and their schedule is extremely tough. It's just the luck of the draw for this year, but I got them winning 27. That's where I'm going to stand with them this year. Look, 27 and 33, considering the schedule, would be a really good season for where this Marlins team was in terms of competitiveness last season. What I would also say in regard to, uh, you know, Monte being down in Jupiter and some of these other guys we talked about, man, what I wouldn't give to just have a live stream of those Jupiter scrimmages, right? That, what I wouldn't, I'd pay an MLB TV subscription just to watch the. Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers versus Monte Harrison and Jesus Sanchez and all those guys that are going to be playing against each other down there. That's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully, you know, helping those guys build toward being a part of this roster in the future. 
And when we talk about the roster in the future, we talk about the draft picks. And, and Craig, you reported on a lot of the draft picks that the, the Marlins were targeting. You reported on their on their signings. But it's taken a long time for a lot of these draft picks to sign for the Marlins. W- what was going on there with the Marlins in terms of the way that all this money sort of shook out and all of the draft picks ended up signing? Yeah, this is a fascinating topic, and and we could do a lot longer on this, but we'll we'll keep it short. And and I think the reason we'll keep it short is because in the end, the result is is that Miami it uh, has signed all of their uh, all of their draft picks. And and sometimes I forget we're recording this, we're not doing this live. Mm-hmm. But Jake Eater, uh, as of late Friday or at some point whenever you're listening to this, he is going to be signed uh, mm-hmm. with with the Marlins too. But but yeah, it's interesting because this would be one if you went back on my my timeline on Twitter, you would see that I would be wrong because I said that all of the Marlins players were signed. I, I don't know. Mm. Did I say I may I may have said that they agreed to terms, which would make me right. But either way, <laughs> I, I was I was surprised. I was very surprised because I I was under the assumption from everyone at mm-hmm. the time, everyone literally, not just one person, that. All of the Marlins players had agreed to terms that they drafted, and then this would be a very quick signing. And Max Meyer wasn't like super fast, but I mean, he, he yeah, got signed relatively quickly. And then last week, uh, it, I was just, I, I hadn't even really been thinking about it. I mean, who's thinking about draft picks during this time? I'm, I'm certainly not. Uh, but, you know, Fish Stripes put out a, a story where they were discussing. And and fish stripes they do a really good job and I was shocked to see them have a column that had the word sleazy in there and I said whoa I I I, I, I got to be the one that covers the sleazy you know like <laughs> how did I miss that you know that's that's a bad job by me classics so they did a good job on reporting that and um and I, and I guess what happened you know from my understanding is that they did have agreements with all of their draft picks on draft night. And then when it came down to them actually signing, they told all of their draft picks that they are not going to pay them for 2020. None of them. They're going to pay them all starting in 2021, which certainly none of the draft picks thought would be the case when they all agreed to terms with the Marlins on draft night. And uh, I, I mean, it was a bad look. It's yeah. not something the Marlins should have done. I don't think, in my opinion. And the it, the funny thing is, is that, and and I and I really hate this, but it is true. Other teams did it. You know, mm-hmm. other teams did use the same sort of tactic to say, uh, you know, we're going to sign you for twenty twenty one. I don't know how many teams, Jeremy, but but it was sure. more than one. Let's just say there were five. I don't know the answer to that. Sure. But if you're the Marlins and you're trying to differentiate yourself from every other organization in baseball, you cannot use the excuse of other teams did it too. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't do that. And yes, all the draft picks got signed. And yes, we're hugging and everything is fine. And people will look back and no one will probably remember this. But I got to tell you, agents are going to remember this. Mm-hmm. Players are going to remember this. And it it may end up being nothing, and, and maybe some players and some agents went through it with some other teams too. 
but you get into a predicament next year and you got that kid on the phone and, you know, you say, hey, you know, you know hold off, sign with us, you know, divert other, you know, tell other people you're, you're going back to college. You know, these sort of things happen during the draft. Of course. And then, you know, the Marlins make this this offer of millions of dollars and then you hang up the phone and say, you know, I remember last year they said this and then they offered my guy, you know, last the next year's contract. Right. Look, I'm not saying that that is going to happen. And there's going to be a warm and fuzzy feeling by the weekend that all the Marlins draft picks are signed and we probably won't talk about this again. But it just needs to be said. I call it fairly. Everyone should know that by now. And I just don't think from the jump with the draft picks, the Marlins went about signing them in the right way. All of those Mm -hmm. players should have been offered, especially in the landscape that we have five round draft. All of their bonuses are deferred for years I think they're only getting yeah. paid a hundred grand no matter what this year. Anyway, all the money is for next. They should have all been offered 2020 deals. And by the way, Jeremy, I mean, are any of these guys, Chris Bryant with service time? I mean, what are you doing here? Right. You got fifth right. round picks that you, that you're worried about what's going to happen in 2027. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I understand there's all part of a negotiation, but I cannot be sold on the idea that this was a good starting point in the negotiation for the Marlins. It needed to be said, so I've said it. That's the bad news. The good news is they're all Marlins now, and probably the last time we talk about it, but that's why it took so long for the Marlins players uh, to sign from the draft. Yeah, and I mean, the big thing is when we were talking throughout the offseason, or rather the pause in the season over these last four months about the teams that were paying their minor leaguers, we were all so excited about the fact that the Marlins were paying their minor leaguers and this was a, you know, what a good look. And for a long time, there were no cuts. And so it is a bit frustrating that that that, that would happen on the back end here with these draft picks. But as you said, by the time people are listening to this, there probably is that warm and fuzzy feeling of, hey, at least they're on the roster. It's over with. It's done with. And hopefully, like you said, this doesn't, you know, spiral into any sort of issue in drafts to come. Right. And, and, I, and I probably would guess that. Anybody in the Marlins organization that's listening to this is saying, mm. but it was well within our right to do it. Major League Baseball said that we could. No, that's not. I understand. I understand that. But just because they said that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Right. right. I mean, this is a different world we're living in right now. And, and and I understand that everyone is trying to save a buck and I get it. But if, and by the way, if this was just done with Max Meyer and no one else, then I would say, well, yeah, I mean, look, Max Meyer could I, look. I think Max Meyer may end up better than all of these other pitchers that they have. There's a chance of that. Really? Right, I do. Right, right, right. But but come on. I, I mean, Dax Fulton, <laughs> Zach McCambly, like these dudes is like six years away from. I, I mean, this is not Chris Bryant situation mm-hmm. where you're holding back service time and he's the first pick in the draft or second or third pick in the draft. It's fifth round picks and fourth right. round picks that you basically convince these kids to stay, to sign with you. Maybe some of them not even to go to college. It's, it's unfortunate, but again, swings and misses. Huh. We keep it. We keep it real. We are. We are not going to. I'm going to make it. Just, we're, we're gonna. We're gonna hit on everything here, and I'm not. I, and I don't want to leave that off the pod today. No, well, and that being said, you know, we have we've gone through the Jeter interview. We've gone through what opening day looks like. We've predicted wins. We've talked draft picks. How would you like to wrap up this show? What are what are the final things you want in Marlins fans heads as they go into tonight 
watching opening day, watching Sandy Alcantara take on the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll we'll have podcasts every week, and so we'll be able to assess this very quickly and where the season is headed. And I am not one that ever looks at an opening day or a second game of the season as being super important. And and it's so funny that, Jeremy, when a team wins on opening day and you ask the manager the next day, they always say how important it was to get that first win and a win right. on the first game. And when they lose, they say, you know, it's, not, it's just the first game. It's not that. I mean, it's like every year is the same thing. Yep. The rhetoric has to end for the Miami Marlins in 2020. I mean, it's yep. got to be gone. There, there, there is zero rhetoric for me going in. You have 60 games, man. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. And you get the Phillies Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This is a team that you faced off with last year and played very well against. Yep. yep. And I think that regardless of what the outcome is in these three games, the team has to be competitive and show that it has been four months and they are itching to get back onto a baseball field. They got to show mm-hmm. it. And then after that, however, the first three games of the series goes, and it could be one and two, it could be two and one, who knows? Three, maybe they win all three games, who knows? You have got to feast on the Orioles. There is absolutely, positively, no excuse whatsoever to not win all four of those games. None. Their best pitcher, John Means, who made the all-star team last year, is on the injured list with uh, with arm fatigue. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Marlins are facing off with Tommy Malone, okay? Ooh. No offense to Tommy Malone, and he's been a pitcher in the big leagues for a long period of time. But you know where the Orioles are. Right. The the Orioles are where the Marlins were two years ago. Mm-hmm. You have to win all four games. You you go two and two against the Orioles in the first seven games. Your I'm sorry, it's over. not getting any easier from there. You're playing the Braves and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Nationals. You you have to get off to a good start in right. seven. And I know that when we spoke to and I asked Don Mattingly about this before, he seemed to indicate that the first few games were important, but didn't want to make them too important as if they got off to a real bad start, that it really meant something, a really good start. That would... I am sorry. I am I am absolutely going to judge this club after the first seven games of the season. There are there are there's not even a hundred games in this year. There are 60 <laughs> games. Yep, yep. Almost 10% of your season is done after the right. first week. And in the first week, you play the worst team in baseball. Yep. You have to win all four of those games. There are no excuses. If the Marlins are that much better this year than they were last year, you cannot go one and three against mm-hmm. Baltimore. And I would leave people with that. You don't want to make a judgment after the first seven games. Okay, you can make it after 15 games. You can make it after 30, 40, however you want to do it. But it will get no easier after the first week of the season and if all of this preparation and all of these free agents and all of this goodwill that has been earned back by adding to the roster and making these changes, they absolutely must get off to a good start. Seven games in, the team must be good. There are no excuses. And if they are not, then I think there are going to be people that are going to be very, very upset. And we'll leave it at that. When you talk about all of this, it's reminding me of the interview we did with Brad Penny a couple of months ago. And he talked about the run that they had when in 2003. They went on the road, and he was talking about fans coming to the ballpark toward the end of the season, which is the irony. We're not obviously talking about fans going to the ballpark. But he talked about how the team was competing for the wild card, went on the road, beat up Philadelphia, came back, and that was really the start of the run. 
And that was about 100 games into the season. Well, that's about where we're at right now. The Marlins, if they're going to be a team that embraces the 60-game sprint and tries to head toward the playoffs, they are going to need to capitalize with a great first week of the season at what is normally about 100 games in. So you go 5-2, and 6-1, and one, all right, you got a shot. You beat up on a division rival, you beat up on a bad team. If not, we'll have a fun time analyzing the rest of the season. We'll look at it. By no means would the season be over, but like you said, you face some really tough competition going forward after that. So these first seven games, this first week, this is going to be a lot of fun, and we want you guys to interact with us during this. During all of these games, tweet at us, at Craig Mish, at Jeremy Taché, tweet at Swings and Mishes. Again, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Please like, subscribe, rate, review. That really helps us out when you review us and when you rate us. So give us that five-star rating. Write us a review. And we'll continue to make more of these episodes for you. But we look forward to speaking to you guys next week, about a week into the season for the Miami Marlins. And have a great opening night.